to choke in front of their pets to see how they react. There she is. She's doing this sort of cough and then lay down. And here's the dog checking the vital signs. <laughs> okay. What's he going to do? Nudge. Check she's okay. Check she's okay. And he goes and gets a knife. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please remember to like, subscribe and ring that bell. Thank you. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Big Bad Broadcast Deja Vu Friday. It's Friday afternoon and it's the end of the week, so I know you're going to have a great time with us today. We got a great guest. We got a great panel and everything is great. And I got my third vaccine yesterday, so I'm feeling really great. Oh, you've got because... your third shot for the crabs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my third shot because people aren't taking them, so I'm going to take them all. <laughs> but we got a great group of people like we do every week. We got the dean of the Clown College, Mike Grief. Yeah, baby, here I am. And we have the mind reader, Joe Silky. <coughs> Whoa. Hey. Wow. <laughs> wow, he's got bagels in his blood. And we have our Yoda Craig Mitchell. Yes, I picked the wrong day to stop drinking. <laughs> What's he drinking, Mike? He's drinking Gay Goose. I mean, Gay, gray goose. Gray goose. Gay Gray Goose. It's fabulous. It's equal opportunity getting wasted. Well, Joe has been on assignment the last couple of weeks, so he hasn't really done any mind reading lately. You got a quick one for us? Yeah, I got actually one that... Uh... I found an old video. Well, actually, it was a movie of Houdini doing a magic trick. Cool. So, cool. Uh, Craig, if you want to roll that, that'd be great. Rolling. Hi, folks. It's Harry Houdini, the world's greatest escape artist. And before I became the world's greatest escape artist, I was known as the king of cards. So what I'm going to do is I am going to show you one of my favorite tricks. Are you ready? Wonderful. I have here five playing cards. All of them court cards and all of them different. What I want you to do is select one of these cards in your mind. Do you have it? Great. I'm going to shuffle those cards and turn them face down. Concentrate on the card you were thinking of. Let me see if I can guess. I'm going to remove the card that I think you selected. Now watch. I will turn the remaining of the cards face up. You will see that your card has vanished from the selection. Remember. I am Houdini, the king of cards. 
Thank you and have a nice day. Pretty cool, man. Mine worked. <laughs> my card was missing, which thanks, Joe. I mean, not enough has been missing from my life. Now take this card. <laughs> Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, my card, uh, my card wasn't there either. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all divisible by nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was very yeah. cool. Oh, that was, uh, what's our topic for this week? Well, we have a great comedian on today, which I'm not gonna ruin the surprise and tell you who it is right now. But um, he started like we did, and we all are comedians. And Joe actually at one time was an agent who booked comedians. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was very funny because since Joe and I were friends, he would tell the agency that I was a prima donna <laughs> and that he had to go with me on all the gigs. And I only have to have a limo. And have first-rate hotels so we could just have a blast together. <laughs> yeah, nice. It's a true story, right? Yeah, no. That we did. Uh, well, one we did. This isn't a hell gig, but remember when we went up to Boston for the Boy Scouts and we had Hollywood, the limousine driver, who like. Oh yeah, yeah. They gave us a limo for twenty-four hours. <laughs> Hollywood. So we, yeah, that's, that's what he called himself. Yeah, so we, we had some hell gigs, but we had a hell gig for American Express once. Right. And give him a quick background on that one because this is very funny. So, we used to do these big corporate events. I mean, I, I've been to only three professional football games in my life, and they were all Super Bowls at the fifty-yard line when I worked for this company, because we used to do the party for the NFL. So it was a huge, huge company. It's, it's no longer around, but, uh, so got a call from American express. They need somebody to talk right before, like they wanted somebody to go on before the president and at one of these luncheons at like the Waldorf Astoria. So it's this huge ballroom, DJs and all, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, we, we get there and everyone's like, really nice and they say to john uh, so you gotta you gotta do uh half an hour and then like what somebody else goes there goes you know uh we you're gonna have to do uh you know they got the president they got the president may go he's a little long-winded <laughs> so you know he may go over so you can do shorter time is that all right with you yes <laughs> and it went so, from 45 minutes down to 30 minutes and it went to what like 15 minutes, yeah. 20, 20 minutes, maybe. Yeah. So uh, I said to John, I said, you're right with uh, 20 minutes. And with that, he replied. I reply for 20 minutes for $5,000. I can take glowing charcoal and hold it on my scrotum. <laughs> there you go. That's a <laughs> so the president gets up, gives his gives his uh, speech and everything, and uh, and now I'm down to ten minutes, <laughs> which is easier on the scrotum, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, at these things, once the president speaks, nobody cares about anything else. Oh, they only got to look good for the president, not for not for a comic or anything. <laughs> so, and it's an afternoon lunch, so. He, Oh, Meanwhile, up. three thousand people. Like, oh, we have video support. They had four nineteen-inch TVs spread around the room on stands. Oh, wow! 
God. So I did my 45 minutes in approximately seven and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, oh, it was, man. It was painful. You want to hear at, a at, Wait, wait, wait. At which point the guy who booked me looks at Joe and says, is he going to be okay? At which point I turn to the two of them, grab my balls and go, ouch! <laughs> While on stage. <laughs> nah. Hey, listen, you want to hear, this is this is a hell yeah. I show up at this, this, this the, the, you know, in the old days we used to do bachelor parties. And the rule of bachelor party was get paid up front, you know, take the money and because it's just going to be hell. But this one was really, so I'm, I wouldn't even say I was on stage. I was in front of keg. You know, they had kegs. It was this thing. And and I'm doing, and they have a, uh, I'll call her, uh, you know, a, a lady of the whatever. It was the, a lady of the afternoon. A whore. She's, she's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very nice term. Wow. They prefer, they prefer prostitute. I don't know what the hell. But anyway, I'm doing in my act, and she's servicing guys in the friggin' audience. It's like, you know, trying to concentrate. And I'm like, you know, and then at one point, they, they put a chair in front of me. And they sit her in the chair, and she's reaching for my zipper. And, and I just, quick thing, I said, there's a stripper at my zipper. Whip it out. And they're like, whip it out. And I'm like, I just I just pushed her away. It's like, oh, my God, you talk about a hell gig. It's You've just, always I, been quite a poet. I am. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the poet laureate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Craig, what's your hell gig? Well, yeah. you know, I, I figure a hell gig has to leave a scar. Not, not a physical one, but a scar. Um, I it, this is 1989. It was a, a, a Phil Selman, if you know, a, a road gig in New Jersey. It was at a place called the Goalpost, and they decided to have a show on New Year's Day night. Who the fuck does that? So I have a whole audience of people who are freaking hungover and had partied all night the night before. I'm brand new. I'm working with a guy named Saint Marquis and Angel. Angel oh, not Angel Salazar. Yeah, Angel Salazar. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it so out, up, baby. I go up and I fucking eat it. I mean, it's horrible. It's so bad, and there's no laughs. Some guy. This is 1989. Remember those handheld uh, football games where you, you would do it? It, it would go. It made that little noise. Right. On my setups, he started playing that. So I'm like, yeah, so two guys are like, dee, 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 and the audience would laugh, and I'm freaking dying, and people are like, oh, you know. So I, I struggle for 20 minutes. I get off, and I bring on St. Marquis, and he's doing really good. And at one point, he says a joke. It gets booed, right? He goes, hey, you want me to bring that fat guy back? And they're like, no, no, no. The whole crowd. It was, it was, a, and it was just a disaster, and I wanted to get out of there so fast. I remember standing by the cigarette machine going, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not a comic. And I wanted to get out of there, but I drove Angel Salazar. So we, we were there until they friggin' closed the doors. And, and, and everybody's coming up to me. Oh, hey, you're in the show? Oh, yeah. And they did, go, you have a, did you have a big car to fit that radio in? <laughs> Thank God I had a U-Haul. Hey, next so time we'll I'll tell about opening, try opening for Dice Clay. But anyway, let's, why don't we get oh, Wait, 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 wait. I have my quick one. Oh, I did ahead. this. I told you guys the story the other day, but it's pretty funny. I get a call from uh, Rick Messina that Carol Leifer can't make this club in Ohio. So he asked me to go do this club. So I go there and I, I'm not the funniest guy in the world, but I am very consistent. I very rarely have a really shit show. 
even in the beginning, you can say like the magic, you know? So I go out there. It was the worst show that I've ever had in my life. I, I can't remember even doing this poorly ever. And the owner came up to me and he was a little concerned. And before I could say anything, I looked at him and I went, Hey, thank you, man. It's the best I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thank you for the opportunity. And I just turned around and walked out. Messina calls me at 3.30 in the morning. What the hell happened? What did you tell this guy? And I go, I told him, you know, it's, I go, it's the worst show I've ever had. He goes, I've never seen you have a bad show. I go, Rick, it was bad. And uh, I just told the guy, thank you. It's the best I've ever done in my life. Why would you say that to the guy? And I go, I didn't know what else to say to him. <laughs> so the next night I went back, I guess Rick calmed him down. And I had a great show. And the guy walks up to me and he just... Walks in the dressing room at the end of the show and goes, you were fucking with me last night, right? <laughs> I go, I was embarrassed. <laughs> but anyway, we have a great guest today. We have another famous, famous person. I grew up in a house, and by the time you were nine, if you got my dad a beer, your reward was a sip. I'm pretty sure that's not in any parenting handbooks today. <laughs> Here, take a sip of that. Don't tell your mother that's my boy. <laughs> and the old man knew what he was doing, because by the fourth beer, I was going for him. I got you, baby. Name one, I'll get him right over there. <laughs> by the time I was 12, his buddies had come over. I'd come out in the living room like a vendor. Beer here. you guys after just a few hours on patrol i have a newfound respect for what you do thanks honey yeah we're not heroes we're just regular men who you know do what heroes do <laughs> you put your lives on the line every day and aren't you scared well fear is a very human reaction i got this mic <clears throat> yes we do feel fear but we just call <laughs> man you just can't be sneaking up on me like that Sorry, this is for you. I didn't order a milkshake. It was sent over by an admirer of yours. Oh. Wow. Oh, good for you. She's gorgeous. You mean he's gorgeous? No. Yes. Every inch of him. I told you nothing happened. That's a classic case of he said, he said. Hey man, we got a really this is this guy is real special to me. He's a good friend. Not only is he a good friend, he he's a he's a, a incredible stand-up comic, a TV star. I mean, just an amazing all-around guy. Let's 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 big welcome for Mr. Billy Gardell. Yeah. What is up, you nuts? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Billy, you Thanks. look amazing. Look at you. Yeah. Doing okay, buddy. There's a little less of me. You know, a little less there's, of me. That's a lot less, a lot less of you. After after fifty, you really start to clearly see the mistakes you've made. You really, <laughs> it really comes clear some of the choices you made. So, oh, yeah. I feel well, like I've made mistakes for fourteen years. <laughs> and after sixty-five, you feel every mistake oh, you made in your oh, life. That's the, that's that's my Irish mother. Every time I tell her something hurts, all her answer is is going to get worse. Okay, that's <laughs> called. Good talking with you. Something to look forward to. And just speaking of, how is your mom? She's good. She's still crazy. You know, she's always trying to uh, 
she still worries uh, at, yeah. at 74 years old that I just, I can't imagine just worrying your whole life. Like that's what <laughs> she just worries. Like if you answer the, she answers the phone. She's like, is something wrong? Oh. She's trying to say hello to you. Oh, I thought someone died or someone was sick. I'm, how is your brain still working like that at 73? So no, she's doing good, Mikey. And she's that's good because my mother, my mother always I, asks about her, man. Yeah, she yeah. always, we you got know. those two together one Thanksgiving, and we were done for. Yeah, it was, it was just like it was just like a an entire corner of the table filled with disappointment. That's it. They <laughs> have, have a list of everything we ever did wrong and how we look, disappointed. Them. Like, look at these two morons. It's surprising they're walking upright and they have clean shirts on. So. <laughs> but the family, everything's doing good. I know Will. Will Everybody's good. To... My son's up in college now, which is I'm an empty nester, and it's freaking me out. Uh, I told him the other day, I said, you got me playing one-on-one -on -one coverage against your mother. This is 20 years. I, I, I can't, I need some safety help, man. My knees, I can't play her one-on-one. -on -one. No, especially, I know your wife, she'll trip you while you're heading for the, for the... She plays filthy. She plays filthy. <laughs> After 20 years, I've been beat in so many arguments that at this point, when we argue, it's like, you know, in like a bad action movie when the bad guy's walking through the kitchen with a big rifle just firing heavy shots? That's her. <laughs> I'm like I'm like hiding behind the couch trying to get two bullets and a bottle cap into a 38, like just to terrified of this one. No. It's unbelievable. I mean, she's just got to bring home. He kept me alive, but but yeah. without him here, it's freaky, man. You Where's your son going to school? San Francisco State University. He's up right. there studying cinema, and he's, cool. you know, it's so great, man. He, every time I call him, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, headed up to Haight-Ashbury, bro. Going to get some street tacos. I'm like, all right, man, that's your... The other, the other day I called him, I go, what are you doing today? He goes, oh, me and my roommates are going to go get that big barrel of cheese balls at Costco. Okay, man. That's, that's, that's your schedule for the day. Is, is there a book involved? Do you have a book? Is there a pencil involved? You know, but no, he's he's loving college life and I'm happy. He only had one day where he called and he was really homesick, but then he kind of met some people and he's finding his groove up there and, and I'm very oh, happy for him. Yeah, yeah it's great. Kid. Yeah, I had my son went away to school. It's I know that feeling and my daughter right? went away and you know, now my son actually moved to Austin because he's got wow. a he's a big hot crap kid there now, you know, working for right. big, you know, internet companies, but it's tough, you know, but every really, Sunday, really every is. Sunday football starts, we synchronize our phones and we watch the game together. That's oh, awesome. That's great, See, man. that's good dad stuff right there, man. That's, and I, I torture mine with dad jokes up there about his practice, you know, <laughs> like he has, he has archaeology on Monday and I'm like, did you dig it? He's like, please, please, please don't do that. I guess it's my right to give you dad jokes. I earned my dad jokes. Ask him if he ask him if he sees my career from there. <laughs> I was gonna say, Uncle Mike wants to know if he could dig up his career. That's the best. That's the best part about having kids, man. Anytime my kid would like either one of them, my daughter or my son, would like stub their toe or something, I would launch into like, oh, you really? I'm sorry, toe bad. You want me to call the tow truck? Yes, oh, you'll dad. feel better tomorrow. You're right, right as a dad. <laughs> now, and they would go, will you stop it? Just stop it. And you just, yeah, well, and that was your cue to keep going. No, and then you wait, and then you drop one yeah, more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, it's better than domain poisoning. <laughs> oh, God. So, 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 Billy, you're back. Are you back? Are you back to filming? 
We are. We we did. Uh, we've done seven episodes of Bob Hart's Abishola. This is season three, which I cannot. Nice. I cannot. Yeah. You know, the other day uh, I, we were at dinner, and uh, a very nice lady came up to the table and said, uh, "My wife was sitting with us, and this nice lady comes up and she goes." Uh, boy, I just, I loved Mike and Molly and I like your new show a lot too. And I just, I, boy, and she looks at my wife and she goes, he's just so talented. <laughs> my wife goes, he has a horseshoe up his ass. That's what <laughs> <laughs> I think she's right. <laughs> as long as it's turned up so that the luck doesn't run out, right? Yeah, I had a similar yeah. thing with my ex-wife. The yeah. woman comes up and she goes, it must be so much fun being married to a comic. And she goes, yeah, it's a laugh fucking riot. Dude, you know what? I, 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 will, I swear on my kid, my wife had the same similar answer. Somebody asked me, you married to a comic? My wife just goes, yeah, we just laugh and laugh. Like, yeah. Lots of laughs with a stand-up yeah. comedian. Yeah, my, well, trust me, man. My, my wife, yeah, same thing. Because we just we don't have that thing in our head that says, shut up. Don't shut say up. that, right. idiot. Yeah, yeah. So we say it. And of course, no, like, I remember I was in a restaurant and I, uh, the these people were obviously celebrating their anniversary and they were just married. And, you know, and it was like, what's it like? I'm like, oh man, run now. You're just making a joke. you know. <laughs> and my wife just looking at me like, I'll kill you. I that's will like, stab that's you. A, that's a long car ride home. <laughs> yes. You know, this is, this is, you learn just not to joke with your wife. At least I have, because it, it's a trick. Like yeah. one or two times they laugh hysterically. And then it's the third time it's as if you've desecrated their existence on the planet. Like, I, yeah. I thought we were joking about that. You know what? The funny thing is when we first got together, though, when you first get together, they think you're the funniest guy in the world. But after yeah. 10 years, you yeah. ain't so funny no more. No, not at all. all yeah, they've heard they've now. heard every story. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm just grateful she stayed, man. It's been 20 years. We celebrated 20 years last last year. It's beautiful. That's yeah. great. One thing I can say is, man, no matter what has been thrown, the, the boat may have sprung a few leaks. But somehow we're still floating, man. So I, yeah, I will, I'm real grateful. And we're actually in the place where uh, where I think we're getting into that place where, you, you, you know, John, you were talking like after the kids leave the house, like you have to look at each other and go, what the fuck did we used to do? <laughs> what, did, what did we do? We did stuff before we had a kid. What, what was it? So we're trying to find that again, which is really nice. Although the boy's coming home today for three days. And when she found that out, her eyes just glazed over. And she couldn't even hear me. She's made cookies and beef stew and <laughs> ice cream. I, I ain't had a meal cooked for me since he left. I don't know what's going on there, but no, but she's like, she's getting the house ready for me. I got, I'm gonna have to keep her off the runway tonight from meeting that plane, but she's excited he's coming down. Here. Where are you living now, Billy? Los Angeles. I live in Los Angeles. Oh, okay, I live in LA. Yeah. Cool. I've been I've been out here since ninety five, ninety six. I, I guess you have there. to be out there for the shows. Yeah. Yeah, last time, yeah. The funny thing is last time I saw you, Craig, you had that picture we was in we were in New York. Oh, this is the last time me and Billy were together. You, you, oh yeah, you, we were at Juniors. Hold on. Juniors. So, there you there go. There it is. Look at <laughs> those guys. You think those guys could work a menu? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the heavy hitters. The heavy that's, hitters. That's the, that's the three, four hitters for the Yanks right there. When it comes to <laughs> that was like right, wasn't that right before the, the shutdown? It was like that right was, before, like two days before they locked the city down. Yes. For, for I think it was March yeah. of, of what was that, 2020, right? Yeah. And and it was like, yeah, I flew home yep. and it's like a day or two later. Day was over. Everything was shut down. Yeah. For yep. COVID. Wow. Yep. Wow. But, uh, You're from Pittsburgh originally, right? 
Yes, sir. I, uh, I, I was born in Pittsburgh, raised in Pittsburgh till I was about uh, high school age. And then my parents split and then I ended up down in Florida. We're in Florida. I'm living in Florida now, actually. Okay. I, I, I ended up doing uh, my high school years in uh, Orlando because my mom married this guy who uh, was going to do good in construction. And, uh, you know, a year later, we're bankrupt, and I'm getting in fights with kids that think they're farmers. I don't know what happened. <laughs> and, uh, but I was lucky enough when I was down there, I found uh, in my high school the drama department. And uh, the teacher there, Kid Haskett, was the only guy. I knew I wanted to be a stand-up comic, man. I just knew. Because in, in what you know, I started watching stand-up, I guess, I don't know, ninth grade or somewhere eighth grade, maybe sooner than that with my grandmother, the tonight show, that kind of stuff. So I, I wanted to do it. And he was the only teacher that actually took me seriously when I said that. And he was very encouraging. And for the three years I spent there with him, that guy really changed my life because he took it seriously. Everybody else in that school had me pegged for working at a Chevron, which right. would have been okay. Hey, you and me both. Let me ask you one question. Besides me, who were your comic influences? Who did you love? Besides, well, uh, besides uh, me. Other than Mike Grief, um, my, my favorites for television, obviously, it was Jackie Gleason. Oh, and uh, yeah. I mean, he was, yeah. I, that's, I would watch that with my father on a loop, man. And then. Now and, having, then, and then Bob Woods took his well, place. When I met, yeah, you know what? When I met Bob Woods, that, like I just followed him around like that little dog. Like, where are we going now, Spike? You know, and uh, and you know, I had such great, I had great memories of, of watching those with my dad. And then he, my dad had a great, uh, he had great taste in comedy. He had comedy records, so I would play his records, like you know, the Richard Pryor albums, the, the early George Carlin stuff, Bob Nohart, Button Down Mind, and, oh, wow. and, you know, Steve Martin's Let's Get Small. Like, my dad had all that stuff. So he, he really, I didn't know it then, but he really gave me a library of, of this business before I started my journey. Yeah. So, so that was always the connection with, with, with me and my father was this and that and film. Like you couldn't walk through the living room if my dad was watching a movie. He would go, "You ever see this?" And I'd go, "No." He goes, "Sit down." <laughs> but he made me watch like probably a hundred movies, man. I mean, he turned me on to Paul Newman and and the great character actors, you know, Lemon and Hackman, and wow. and, and and it just really he gave me such a great education by accident. And and then, like I said, from Florida, I started stand up, and then. And then in two years, I was doing really good in Florida. And I thought, wow, I'm obviously ready for New York City. And, uh, and I went up to New York. Sorry, my allergies are banging me up. Uh, I went up to New York City and uh, just got my ass handed to me. I mean, New York just taught me such a brutal lesson about how funny I wasn't, which yeah. was, was good at the time. But I, like I was saying, John, I opened for you in 89 at the East Side. And the guys in Long Island, because I was staying out there in a guy's garage and... and uh, the, the guys in Long Island were great to me. You know, Woods, you you know, you you took time with me after the show I opened for you, and, and you, you gave me good advice, and, and you you were patient and listened, and there was a mentorship there. I mean, you know, and there was guys like, uh, you know, um, what's the? I, I remember all the names of the cats I would work with. Just just a crazy time, like the Most Brothers, and uh, oh, the Most Brothers, Dave Hawthorne, Hawthorne, like and and Richie, and all these fucking crazies that just had this wonderful <laughs> attitude about stand up comedy that that I just wanted to be a part of. And Joey Cola, yeah. Joey Cola is a heart 
of fucking gold. Can you say, can you swear on the podcast? Yeah. Sorry, I don't yeah. okay. We fucking try not to fucking care. Steve. No. All right, Mike, take it fucking easy. No, I, but Joey Cola really was another. He really, he, he took me under his wing and, and, and was saying stuff like write about your family and, and try to write stuff that, that won't disappear in, in, in a month. And, but the, yeah. the kindness was there. Like I, I, but Joey I must have been, Joey must not have been that far ahead of you, right? Because no, he, he started well, way he after. He was a headliner. He was a headliner. Oh, yeah, because he started way up. after us. Yeah, but he was, he was like, yeah, one after Yeah, you but John, you, you, you used to, him. John, you used yeah. to fucking go up at the Coliseum. So, I mean, it's, it's a different <laughs> world, you know. <laughs> the main just, room. He's in the re- main room. Just remember, they call me, uh, now I'm a comedy legend. You know what that means? You know what they, you know what that means, Joe? That means they want to book you before you die. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but all those guys were great to me, man. I, I will never forget my time in New York. And, and then uh, I lived in the city for a little while, uh, in, in, uh, right above Alphabet City. And, uh, and those experiences in New York really humbled me in a good way. And then I, and then I went back to Florida, kind of regrouped. And then I moved up to Atlanta, my, my manager. And then I did the road. And he kept begging me to come to L.A. And I instead went to Chicago. And uh, and about a year after that, he finally talked me into, okay, you got to make the move to Los Angeles and we got to pursue this TV thing. Because I was always about getting a sitcom. Now, what was your first, what was yeah. your first, I mean, like, I, I know we did, you know, commercial and things like that. But what was that first one that made you know that you were in the, the, the wow, I'm in show business. That, that, that um, I, I have to give credit to Kevin James, man. Um, I got my first guest starring spot on The King of Queens when that show wow. was really, you know, peaking. And I got to play one of his buddies from high school football. And uh, I remember that. Yeah. And, and Klaus Myers was on that show as well. Nice. And uh, and it was just a fun episode. And, and I thought to myself, my God, I'm really I'm like I'm I'm in a TV studio and yeah. I'm not being saying nobody's going, sir, can you tell me why you're here? You have an ID? <laughs> like I actually was doing a show and, and it was a great thrill. And, uh, and, and Patton Oswalt was very kind uh, during that time to me. And like I said, man, I've just sailed around some really cool people as, as I've done my thing. I haven't run into a lot of the douches. And I, I think that's because I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty good at picking who I want to talk to. And I, I think I gave my kid that gift, too. So I'm happy yeah, right. about that. But, but those influences were great because there was just such a fun vibe about comedy back then. Like, it was... You know, I, I don't know. It got very serious all of a sudden. I, well, like, you know, like I always in the doom and the hall of justice. Now, I don't you know, know, I always said well, Billy we were all back, just trying not to have jobs. Yeah, and you I, I, mean? I always said back then it was like there wasn't that competition of no. headliner, MC, middle. No. You know, you'd be in a car three, and you go, "Who's closing tonight? Who wants to MC?" <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like so yeah. there wasn't that whole yeah you know, like competition. It wasn't contentious. And then yeah. you, you knew you were around two real veterans when they were arguing about who doesn't want to close. Like, right. How you, you close <laughs> last time. Man. I that's closed just, last time. That's, right. that's exactly <laughs> it. So, do you, do you, uh, do you uh, have a, a hell gig you want to share? A uh, hell gig. I'll tell you what, you know, they never leave you and you never know when they're going to come, man. I, I, I remember at the height of Mike and Molly, I got this gig in uh, Reno. And uh, it was this outdoor thing, and, and they were paying a nice paycheck. So I said yes before I looked. And it was in this, it was in this circus tent. 
You know, you right. think you think your hell gigs are behind you at this point. Like, well, nothing could happen to me. I'm on television. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> well, it's in this tent, and there's two sets of railroad tracks right behind this giant outdoor tent. Oh, man. And I said to the guy, I go, we're not, there's not going to be any trains coming through tonight. No? <laughs> I goes, no, 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 no. That's a supply track. No, no, we're, we're, we're good. We're, we're good. About 10 minutes before the show, there's some kind of overturned car or something on the main line. So now they got to reroute these trains to come. <laughs> it, it, like, it literally comes around a bend and then it blows by me while I'm on stage. <laughs> Three trains inside of 40 minutes. So, and they would blow the horn. So I would know, well, I might as well just sit on and shut up until the train passes. So every time I'd hear the horn, I just started singing to the audience, well, I hear that train are coming. And then we'd go, coming around the bend. And then we would sing Johnny Cash until the train went by. And then I'd get back up and try to do 10 more minutes. And then you hear, <laughs> another break. Three trains in 45 minutes, man. So oh, they, they just never leave you. I think those are the gigs that, that, uh, I don't know, man. They're the ones that if you make it through those, I, I, I just think your metal gets tougher. But I think yeah. the older you get, the harder it gets. I like remember that, doing I, a gig I, with, yeah. Go ahead, with you, the gig with you. Uh, we were doing it was like for a, 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 a convention for a pharmaceutical, oh, pharmaceuticals. Dude, remember we followed that guy that was like blowing into a rain stick or some shit? Yeah. What was he doing? I don't know. <laughs> but that's the thing. This is, thing we never heard of. And he's... A didgeridoo. I, I just remember you looking. I just remember you looking at me. It's one of those rooms. I don't know. There's like three, four, five hundred, whatever. It's five hundred, six hundred people, and and you just looked at me and went, "What the fuck did we get ourselves into?" <laughs> <laughs> you guys playing a rain stick, Mike. I can't follow a rain stick. I had to follow him. Oh Rich Jenny always told the story that he was got the Montreal Comedy Festival. It was going to be his big breakout. You know, like everyone. They designed the show for him, and it was going to be his big breakout, and he couldn't wait. And the guy that went on before him was completely naked on roller skates with a Roman candle up his ass. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that, everybody that wanted to talk to that guy after the well, show. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, that, that development deal. <laughs> I, was down, I was down in Florida. Did you ever work bonkers? Down of in course he worked bonkers. I started at bonkers, answering the phone and cleaning the toilets. That was I got a, I got job. a guest I got a guest spot there once, and they said, "Okay, we because you know, oh, I, I'm a comedian from New York, you know. Right. Yeah, we sure. can put you on, but you got to go on after the after the headliner." I'm like, right. "Okay," I went on after after Carrot Top. Oh, <laughs> in Florida, <laughs> nothing. Like. I, oh yeah, I, in Florida, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> You know, uh, and he's a sweet kid, by the way. I don't, I don't mean no ill towards him. But my open mic night was pretty amazing. It was me, Carrot Top, uh, Tom Rhodes was ahead of us. Larry the Cable Guy was a, a feature act. Tom and Larry were features when we started, but still around. And uh, Daryl Hammond was in our class, and uh, uh, a guy named Fillmore who did very well. Like there was a lot of guys that ended up doing very, very well. You know, Jim Brewer was down in St. Petersburg, and like we had guys that were going to end up doing well, which was really cool, man. And yeah. uh, the idea of that, that uh, like you were talking about earlier, that camaraderie, I, I do miss that. Like we would all do open mic night and then we would go to the diner, to Denny's or something <laughs> and try to shift tags and, Hey, this don't work for me. Does it work for you? But 
but we would also mess with people. We had a really fun open mic night without being mean to each other. We would just fuck with each other. But like, like if it was bomb, if you were bombing, you would just hear the beginning of the Godfather start playing. Like if you were eating it, somebody would hit the tape and you hear. <laughs> you know, right, I got to get off. But the way we messed with Carrot Top is we would take like five or six of his props out of the trunk. Because he would, he would set his trunk on the stage. So we would uh, take like five or six jokes. And just make him work a little harder. But there we, you go. No, no ill will, though. No ill will at all. My, so my, was, worst, my worst memory like that was I was doing this new bit that I hadn't done. And it was like, it was, I had worked on this for months. But it was like, sort of like a six minute, you, there's no way you get off the train bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And after, oh, a, yeah. and after a minute, I knew it wasn't going to work. Right. And who comes wandering into governor's but Martling and the place is quiet and he yells out the top of his lungs. Hey brother, don't give us all your A material. Throw us some, <laughs> throw us, throw us some filler. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So, so I was looking over at some stuff and I just, I realized we've done some of the same shows, even though we didn't do them together. Uh, like, and, and you were reoccurring on yesterday, right? Yeah, man, Greg Garcia, the executive producer of that show, literally gave me my he that show prepared me to be able to work on Mike and Molly because he gave me a reoccurring role. So I was in like every four or five episodes and he would give yeah. me two or three scenes that were decent. And it really was a it was a, the greatest education that I could have had getting ready for Mike and Molly. And, and I'll tell you something about Greg Garcia. This is the kind of guy he is. And you don't find many of these cats in Hollywood, but. I remember one year I was trying to, you know, every September 1st, I'd wake up like, okay, how do I make enough money to get insurance for my wife and my kid and me? You know, that was always my goal. Get the insurance. Right, yeah. for. I didn't give a shit about art. I was like, I'll be the fucking apple in a Fruit of the Loom commercial. Right. I got to get this insurance, right? <laughs> yep. So I called Garcia one time. I think it was like $3,000 short from like, I think he had to earn 26000 at the time to get your insurance. And I was like 3000 short. I had a month to go. And I called Greg Garcia and who, who's produced, you know, my name is Earl and raising hope. And yes, there's just an incredible guy and an incredible writer. And I said, listen, man, I'm not putting any screws on you. I go, but if you see anything I can do this month, please let me know just because I'm trying to make insurance. Don't go out of your way. But if you see something, I'm happy to do anything. The next day he calls me because I need you to come in for this episode. He literally wrote a line on My Name is Earl for me where I walk into a storeroom with a flashlight and I just look at the camera and go, he's not here. He literally <laughs> put that in the show and then paid me 3500 bucks so that I could make money. Oh, what a great guy. But that's man. the kind of guy that's, Greg Garcia is. That's a great guy. And the reason I brought up yesterday was because I, at the time I didn't know it, but it, the girl on there was, was in the movie Uncle Buck. Which Gina I'm glad, Louise, Gina Louise I, Kelly. Yes, I'm absolutely. glad I didn't know it at the time because I would have been drooling all over. I would have been like, I'm not worthy. I'm not, you know, <laughs> and she's oh. a sweetheart too. Yeah, that whole cast was great, especially Mike O'Malley and Liza Snyder and Jeannie. They were, they were just wonderful. And Anthony Clark was hilarious. And, yeah, but but Mike and Liza and Jeannie were really they're just super. I'm still friends with with all three of them, which is nice. You know, Do you still great. keep in touch with the the cast from uh, Mike and Molly? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, me and Melissa, we talk about uh, every two months because she's busy. Like Melissa, oh. if she's, I'm not, I'm not even sure when she sleeps, but um, you know, we, we keep keep in touch. And uh, I talk with uh, Reno probably every couple of days. Who played my partner, uh, yeah. Carl? 
And uh, I'm real good buddies with Lou, who played my father-in-law, who they named after Vince Moranto, the Chicago comics. Hey, how you doing? Um, Louis a great <laughs> Buffalo guy. You don't know when he's acting or not. He's just what he is. And then I speak with Rondi Reed, who played my mom. I talk to her all the time. And so that, that was a close-knit group because we all went through, you know, we broke through together. So yeah. I don't think that bond ever leaves you. And it was really a, a, a magical time, man. A yeah. magical time, yeah. Yeah, well, we, we played a clip of Mike and Molly before you came on. I don't well, know. Uh, show, show, show Billy that real quick. I want to, because I want to, I want to show him the pivotal, what I think actually changed Mike and Molly and really put it into the high gear let me see. and really sent it over the top. There he is. That's, that's, what, right. that's what put us on the map that's, right there. You know, obviously that scene just centered right around that guy in the background who yeah, might well, look familiar to some people. Mike, you're obviously making the bond between me and Melissa stronger. I mean, that's obviously what's happening. Well, and, and, you make your way through an omelet. Well, well, you talk, see, and you talk about, see, I went down to visit Billy on the set. And because everyone knows if you're an actor and you got a friend on a show, you know, you go down because craft service, you're going to, yes. you know, load it up, load the right. bag before you leave. My first three or four years, I survived off home improvement. I used to hang out on a, on the fucking, so, so I'm down there and, and, and eating craft service and Billy's like, Hey, you lazy bastard. Why don't you do something while you're here? And he throws me in the, in the back. Which was so cool, you know. Oh well, yeah, I just thought it'd be perfect, man. But we'd be doing that if we weren't filming, so you know. That's it. I, said, I, said, I said to Mike before he did it. I said, Mike, it looked like you were really enjoying that fake food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they do that also, Mike, just for ratings. Well, yeah, so you, you gotta have the eye candy. It's a sweet freak trick. That's it, man. So that's so, why we have them for eye candy. Well, why else would I be here? You know what I mean? I'm a sexy bastard. You know what can I say? So, it just 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 real quick, I just want you know. Obviously, you know the new show, and I love it. I just watched the last you know few episodes, and and caught up a little bit. So it's it's mirroring your own life. The kid goes off to uh, he's gone off, and and just yeah. like you, and empty nest again. Yeah, you know? life imitates art. This new show is really it's it's really fun, and it's it's sweet, and it says a kind thing, and it reminds us that. It doesn't matter what you look like or what your background is. When you marry someone, you marry their family. And that's how you start to find <laughs> yeah. out how similar we all are. Oh, you have a drunk uncle and a crazy aunt? Yeah, I got that. I got a psychotic <laughs> mother. All right, I think we can get through this. And I just think I think it's a nice reminder to people that, man, you know, we just all got the same shit and we're trying to bobble around this blue orb. And yeah. it, you just do your best to take care of the ones you love everything else seems to work itself out. And I like I, that the show says that, you know, I love it. It's a beautiful message because that's just it. it it's the truth. Love has that's no all. color. Love has it's no, nothing. you know, nothing. It's just love is love. Yep. And and when you do, when you marry somebody, you marry the whole family. That's it. And I love the Nigerian thing. I love that the traditions uh, they bring in the show. It's like, it's, it's so I'm, fun. And is I, that and real? I, yeah. Every bit of that is authentic and backed up. You know, Gina Yashere, who's a New York comedian, uh, Nigerian descent, uh, raised in London. You know, she's in that writer's room and she keeps it all very, very, you know, she consults with Chuck and Al Higgins and, and they keep it so legit. And then it's so fun for me to be that guy that like, it, there's just such a John Candy energy about it. Like, yeah, okay. I'll put the hat on. Sure. Where are we going? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a joy in doing that, man. And I, and I do think when you when you blend families and you see that, you know, crazy, crazy doesn't really care, you know, yeah. and, and, and when you're in love with someone, you have to accept them and everything that comes with them. And I, I just I think it's a timeless message, but they found a very beautiful new format to put it in. And I think that's why the show's doing good. I tell you, what I really love is the guys that play uh, Bio and Goodwin. 
the two Nigerian guys yes, on the floor. Yes. They, they, I tell them all the time, I go, you guys are the Nigerian Lenny and Squiggy. Oh. They're just good. At, they just hit the ball, man. They're, they just hit the ball every time. They crack me up. They, yeah, I just, I love them. Yeah, yeah. They're, I, guys, I just... they're guys, Mikey, that they didn't know each other before the show. But when you watch them act, you thought it's just one of those chemistry things. You, th you think they'd known each other for 35 years. They just have that, you know, and it's fun yeah. to watch. Yeah. Well, it seems that way because, I mean, they're supposed to be uh, um, cousins or on, on right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's living in he's living in the guy's living garage. In garage. Exactly. <laughs> but those two, I'm telling you, man, they from the table read to the jump, they just had natural chemistry together. You can't buy that. You know? Yeah. And I'm sure that they're incredible, like just you know amazed that here they are on this, you know, because the show is fantastic. Oh, they're I love so it. grateful. It's nice because you know on this one I'm the veteran. I mean, we have a couple of veteran actors, but I'm the sitcom veteran. So everybody else is kind of new to the game. So it's I get to enjoy it way more than I did Mike and Molly because the first two years of that was just you're just terrified of yeah, how are the ratings? Did it go yeah. okay? Are they, did we get another six? Are we going to do all twenty? Like you're just stuck in that shit. And that's, it's hard not to be. Yeah, it's like yeah, the ultimate yeah. game of fantasy that, football. That's what know? I was going to ask you because yeah. it's like I remember talking to D.L. Hughley when I did an episode of the Hughleys, and he's and and same thing. He said, "I said, wow, man, isn't it great?" And he was just like so stressed. He goes, "Man, you don't get it. It's not as like it seems. Like it's just this great oh. thing." And so it's, I have to worry every week if we're going to get picked up with this and that. Yes. And it's like, yeah. And so now you don't have to. You're you're not stressing about it anymore. No, Mike I and get, Molly was like I, that. But. Yeah, but I get to I get to give them that advice. I get to kind of help be a leader and a comforter that way, and let them know like what you learn is none of that is in your control. None of it. The only control you have is to do a good job on that floor. That's it. And then right. hope. So I always tell the younger cast. I said, here's how you know. If you come to the gate, and you give them your ID. <laughs> And the gate won't go up, <laughs> we're out of business. And if the gate goes up, you'd be grateful and come do a good job. And, and kind of keep it like that. You know, you I, want, I wanted to ask about Chuck Lurie. I mean, yeah. what he's doing, what he's been doing, I mean, going back to Mike and Molly, mm -hmm. he put together a couple that you generally don't see no. on network TV. He, he's doing that with Bob Hart's Abishola. He did it with okay. Mommy. He mm -hmm. showed about recovery and stuff like that. Yeah. And He's even doing it with um. Well, he made he made and nerds. He made nerds a rock rock stars. I mean, and and this new yeah. one he's got called the United States of Al. Right. It, it centers around an Afghani translator who helped our troops. It's now back home, and they're dealing with what actually happened in real time. And uh, you know, there's civil unrest in this country, and then here's Bob Hart's Abishola, an interracial love story. Like the guy has a third eye. He yeah. really. And working for him has been re like ridiculous. It's like it's like work. It's like playing for the Yankees. You, it's just another level. And he is he's the greatest television producer in the history of the game. Him and Norman Lear. And I think it's because they both run on that that thing where it's like if I don't care about these characters and what they're going through, I'm not watching this. I'm not watching any of this. I gotta care about these people. So he drives it all from characters and. And his favorite theme is people overcoming things or people that are flawed that are fixing those things. Right. And it's just, it's, and to well, watch, then, when he comes on the set, it's like Parcells coming right. in the room because everybody's, <laughs> everybody's getting, and I don't mean out of terror, I mean, like you want to, you're expected to do well. 
So when he comes in, it just brings everybody's game up even higher. And he has that weird thing. And I, I'll drop another name, Jim Burroughs. Let me pick that up. Uh. <laughs> so I worked with Jimmy Burroughs and Chuck the first two years of Mike and Molly. And they both have this weird thing, man, where they just know how to fix a whole scene by just doing a little tweak. You know what I mean? Like, like Burroughs will say, like, don't say the line before you drink the coffee, drink the coffee, then say the line. And you don't know why that's going to work, but you do it and it kills. And you're like, how did you even know that? And Chuck is fearless about coming in and going, nope, doesn't work. Change it. This has to happen. This has to like they just have it's like they see four steps ahead of you. Right. And the more you trust that, the more it just it, it just it, it just all comes together. Like I don't ever like I'm so spoiled like that. You know, with Chuck, we don't get network notes. You know, we don't have to listen to any of that stuff because he's just had a track record of success for so long that, you know, there's not a 23 year old kid in there going, you know, I think that the, the wall should be red. Nobody's yeah. saying that. <laughs> so I, I remember it happened one time on Mike and Molly, dude. This was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life is, you know, the producers watch you as you do your scene in the set for run through. And, and back before COVID, you had all the network people behind right. to come to watch right. the run through. So we do this scene and it's not working and it gets quiet for a minute. And Chuck and Jimmy are talking to each other. And one of these young executives pipes up about, I think that she should have to blah, 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 blah. And they both just went like this. <laughs> and then they went back to what they were doing. And I never saw that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's cool. So if you I got call, a, you got a commercial. Chuck, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, if, so I if I call Chuck and tell him I need six uh, six episodes to make my insurance, you think he'll fall for it? I don't know. You got to have a track record with people, Mikey. You can't just barge <laughs> into the room. So I can't <laughs> kidnap the room. him. So kidnapping him and won't work. No, that's no. no good. I can't let you do that. So you got a commercial? I did for a little while. I was uh, I I had developed type two diabetes and. Um, uh, I got on this medicine called Ozempic and they said, would you do a, would you do a run for us? And I said, well, I'm going to wait a year. And if, if it works and you know, and, and I, I'm, it, it doesn't uh, cause me any problems, then yeah, I'll, I'll come back and put my name on it. So I waited a year and that medicine worked very well for me. It was a weekly shot and it brought my A1C down. And, uh, and so I partnered with them for a year and did that campaign. And then uh, this summer, I just made a big choice because, man, diabetes is just so dangerous, especially unchecked. It's one of those things that because you don't feel it right away, you're not in trouble until it's too late. Yeah. And um, I just really been thinking, my, you know, COVID had a heavy, heavy, heavy effect on me because when COVID hit. Now, OK, if there's anybody watching, if you think it, it's a fraud and all that, just hold your breath for a minute. Okay? <laughs> for, yeah. me, for me. When they put up those boxes, overweight, diabetes, any kind of, uh, you know, breathing stuff, sleep apnea, asthma, like this thing was outside doing push-ups waiting for me. It would have took me out. And, yeah. and somehow that landed on me. So I just kept praying and saying, God, look, you get me and my family on the other side of this to where there's a vaccination, I will make some changes. And so... One of the changes I decided, and it took me five years to, to make this decision, but I went and got the weight loss surgery. I went and got gastric bypass surgery. And uh, one of the biggest things for me, the selling points was they don't understand why this works this way. But when you get gastric bypass, 
it kills your diabetes. They can't say that because they don't have like documentation, but over and over and over again, they don't know why after the surgery, the enzymes flow differently, your diabetes goes away. Yeah. So that was one of my motivating factors to, to try to change. I'm just trying to, trying to put 25 years on the clock. I'm just hoping to get, you know, my old man made it to 75. I'd like to go at least that far. I'm 52. And I thought there's no way carrying this weight that I'm going to get there. I'm just so not your sugar, gonna... your sugar's good now, buddy. My A1C is like five, seven, five, six. Nice. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. And it was like, it was like, it was in the nines when I started. Wow. Ozempic got me down under seven and then the operation just took it away. So I'm not on any medication anymore. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real sacrifice because your brain still messes with you, especially <laughs> if you're, a fat, you know, when you're a fat guy, like what I can't stand is skinny people who have never had a weight problem telling you what you ought to do. Yeah. Like, you should take a walk and eat some fish. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. That's it. Like you asshole. If you don't struggle with this, yeah. shut your mouth and be grateful. It's, it's a nasty one, man, because food is nasty because anything else you do in your life, you quit drinking, you quit smoking, you quit gambling, you eat more, you eat more, you eat mm-hmm. more. So it's, it's a weird thing if you have that addictive personality, and I do. So I, I, yeah. now, after this operation, there's been many health benefits. And by the way, if you're thinking about this, think long and hard because it is not the easy way out. Yes. It's just a bridge to get you where you're going. Yeah. Well, but you. there's, it's, there's a price, right, Mikey? There's a yeah. price. you got to pay the price for it. Yes. And one of the things that messes with me is I feel like I'm a constant hostage negotiator between my brain and my stomach now. Because I can only eat three ounces of food and then the stomach goes, you're full. And mm-hmm. the brain goes, I think we can finish it. Yeah. And <laughs> but the I'm stomach like, wins every time. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, uh, didn't you hear the stomach? Uh, he said we're full. And the brain's like, we've never fucking listened to him before. Why are we yeah. listening to him now? So there's that fight. But once you get past that little mental part of it, you start to you start yeah. to understand, okay, I'm full. But you never get that that what I used to call the fatty relax. You never get that. Let me pop a button on the couch and <laughs> lean back so I can get some oxygen in here. Cause yeah. it was a good kill. You know, I don't have that anymore. Which or as Max Alexander <laughs> used to walk, as Max Alexander used to walk on stage and go, I'm stuffed. <laughs> I just say pages three through seven on the menu. <laughs> but it's, but it's a forever on your guard thing because that, you know, it Billy is. knows, I had the surgery, but I had the sleeve. You had the bypass, the total bypass. I had the sleeve where they removed two thirds of my stomach. So I can actually eat and I've gained, I went down to, I was about 260 at one time and I weighed myself. I'm 290 right now. So I got to really watch it and and lose again. And I've been going to the gym. It's not, it's, you're right. It's a tool, uh, but it's not the answer because you can gain the weight back. And I've seen it happen. The trick, the trick, and, and Mikey, you were one of my, like, you were brave. You went through the hole first. And I had two other friends that kind of, they gave me the courage to go do it. You know what I mean? And because uh, you have to face up to, you know, here, like there's this thing with, when you get the bypass, they, they, it's this thing called dumping syndrome. Yeah. And it sounds as horrible as it is. If you eat too much food, your little pouch in your stomach can't handle it. So it dumps it into your small intestine undigested and then it's a painful ride until you get rid of it your heart speeds up your shoulder hurts you break out in sweats i did that the first meal out of the gate i had been drinking liquid for a month my first meal that i'm going to get to eat something and i didn't even eat anything shitty like i went to i got an egg and some avocado 
And I thought I could eyeball two ounces, you know, because I've been able to do that my whole life. Yeah. Just like two ounces right here. Hole, so I'm eating, and all of a sudden, I start sweating. My heart starts pumping. My wife's like, yeah, you don't look right. <laughs> like, so, so it gives you like this little shock collar. But what Mike was saying is the danger uh, is that the reason they want you to eat three little meals a day is you're retraining your body on when to eat. It's the grazing. So even with a tiny little stomach, if you graze all day, you can put the weight back on. And to me, that's like the worst twilight zone ending in the world mm -hmm. to end up being a big fat guy again with a stomach that's this big. It's yeah. like Burgess Meredith losing his glasses. I can't read. You know, so <laughs> I'm trying to be real careful about that, about, about that, but I'm really, really grateful. I did it, man. It's, it's made Good, a lot good. of yeah. changes. Yeah. But you're right. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a head thing because you're right. Yeah. Who in their oh. right mind, it's insanity. Who in their right mind would do that to themselves and eat? And, and I have a brother. My brother is probably 400 and whatever pounds and, and diabetes. And he's got all these health issues. And he's a hypochondriac. And I go to him all the time. I go, I don't understand. You're a hypochondriac. You're constantly afraid you're going to die. But yet you're so, he goes, I don't understand. And I said, that's the insanity. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's not absolutely. a logical thing. And people no. think, oh, if only you had more willpower, more self -control. No, it doesn't it's work that, that way. That's right. You know? It's, 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 you know, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm watching and, and I've been, I, it doesn't make up for it, but I'm going to the gym four days a week and trying to get, you know, and just like I said, yeah. when I saw you, you just look amazing and, and I'm glad to hear your health is good because, yeah, you know, God. I always worry, I always worry about you. Yeah. I back at you, brother. Back yeah. at you. Yeah. So is the car in the commercial yours? It was, yes. That was my Oldsmobile. Yeah. And then uh -huh. I will never do that again because it made that car. I'm, I'm actually the quietest celebrity. If you want to use that right. word? That you'll yeah. ever meet. Like I don't, I go to the same place for my dry cleaning that I went in '97. I don't, I don't break my routes. And right. I, me, and Bill, I, me and Billy have eaten in Carl's Jr. Absolutely. My, <laughs> right. my, my, my thing is, you know, if if I need to do a press thing where it's CBS or Warner Brothers, I show up. I'm a gentleman. I'm a pro, and then I go home. I don't look for extra attention. That's just not my jam. And so uh, when I did that commercial and put that car in there, it became more recognizable than me. Like that car was like, I, it was just ridiculous. So I ended up getting rid of it. I sold it. And uh, the way I did, it was cool. Cause I told my wife, I gotta get rid of this fucking car. It's like driving a, a loud noise around. And she's like, all right, well, I, a guy on Facebook who used to own the car reached out and said, if you ever want to sell it, give it back to him. I bought it from a place called Volo Motors in Chicago, who that guy sent, he, he originally sold it to them. Because he had hit, you know, a time where there was no job and needed some money and had to get rid of his car. So he gets in touch with my wife on Facebook and uh, I bought the car from Volo and, and he told me what he paid for it. And then Volo charged me about, I don't know, like nine grand more than he, they gave him right. for it. So <laughs> I, took, I took that nine grand off and sold it back to him for what they gave it to him. And oh, he got nice. it back and he was just overjoyed. And then oh. I went out and got a, a 69 Nova, which is what my dad used to drive. Oh, so, nice uh, car. I had a 69 it. Nova. That's, I, I have a, a, I have a 70, I have a 72 TR six. Yeah, dude. I always say the, 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 the 69 Nova, that's like the Northeastern Ferrari. Right. <laughs> except, mine, except mine only had four cylinders, man. It was, it was, it was like a, it's a little bug eater. Yeah, no, it was just, but but still, the body was the same, and it was just a cool car. Yeah, a '69 69 Nova is like a secret Chevelle. Yeah, 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 it's it's you know what in Chevy, it's the car that has to sit at the little table. Like there's the Camaro, the Chevelle. Yeah. The Nova's <laughs> just at the little table, but I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. 
So what's next, man? What's next for Mr. Billy Gardell? Well, I'm doing a, uh, I'm going to do an audio book. Uh, just, I guess, cause I got a face for that. And I'm, but I'm bummed. You want to be in books. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm doing one of those audio books. And then, um, you know, man, I, I stopped doing stand up last March and, uh, that's a loss uh, for the stand-up community. Cause well, I, you're a sweetheart, but I, I was always one molecule off of being a great comic. I'm a good comic, but I was like always one molecule off, but I don't know, man, I just got to the point where I wasn't having fun doing it. And mm. so COVID really kind of shut that down for me anyway. And I got to think about it and then I was at peace for not doing it for a while. And then the disease has recently reared its ugly head. So what I've decided to do is, uh, I'm just going to start going. There's an open mic night over in Burbank that I like. Right. And I'm just going to start. I'm going to go over there with no old jokes. I got maybe four and a half minutes of new premises. And next week I'm going to start going to open mic night and see if there's another hour in there or not, but just doing it because I want to do it. And I well, think, you know what, Bill? I think we'll, that makes we'll, it funner. We'll, we'll, we'll talk later, man. Let me know when you're going. I'll meet yeah, you down there. Yeah, that's right. Let's ride together. And we'll yeah. go to Denny's afterwards. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe I'll even try out some, some new material. I'll write some new yeah, stuff. Yeah, let's go do it. I'm in, man. I, but I just want to do it for the fun of doing it because I, I it, it gave me everything and I loved it. And then when it became when it became a little hard for me to do it, uh, I, I had to step back and I'm kind of glad I did because now I'm excited to go. I'm excited to go suck and see if it works for four minutes. You know what I mean? That, that well, feeling, you know, you know what you, you'll, you'll find it's different. It's like, I found out it's like, I've seen it. I can't say I've experienced it, but when you're a celebrity, you know, you get that forgiveness a couple of minutes. Yeah. You get the easy fucking <laughs> 10, but then, you know. but today's world is so jaded. I think that's down to two. And now they're like, all right, make us laugh. Yeah. Hey, okay, he's I'm not fat anymore. Let's see if he's still yeah. funny, you know? Get him! <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool, man. Well, Billy, I, I, I so appreciate your time, man. You know I oh, love you like a brother. I love seeing you guys. I love you like a brother. And, John, so great to see you. Thank you for being such a gentleman all those years ago. And oh, thank you. He didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And, <laughs> and I enjoyed talking to Yoda. I think we have cross paths up there, brother. And, cool. Silky, you didn't say nothing. Did I offend you? What, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it's on my turn. We can only get three guys to talk at a time. So oh, that's just <laughs> not, not right. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you guys, and thank you so much for having me on. See, oh, come back again, and we'll talk sports. And we'll uh, talk yeah. sports. I'm a Jets Islander. That's loyalty. Re- that's- <laughs> <laughs> my son, my son bought me a shirt last year that said. Uh, New York Jet fan, 54 years of agony. <laughs> you know what? My son, my, my son bought me a shirt last year and said, you're not really my dad. Anyway, Billy, thank you so much, buddy. Thank I love you. you. Guys, man. It's great seeing you, man. I'll talk to you later. I'll give you a call later. Take care. All right, man. Great, Billy. Good luck. All right, guys. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Wow. No, All righty. Let's-, let's get out of here. All right, let's have a round of applause one more time for our amazing guest, Billy Gardell. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, Mike Travisola, CBS, every every, uh, Monday night at 8.30. Yes, do yourself a favor and watch the show. It's a great show. I really love it. And he's a great guy. You got to watch it. He's just a regular, regular guy. And you can see us on our website at www.thebbradio.com. And we are the Big Bad Broadcast. And Joe Silke will tell you the links for... uh, You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Just go to the BBBBBBB. 
And when you get there, go BBB, BBB. He froze. He froze. On Twitter, we're BBB Radio Podcast. He didn't freeze us. He's making believe. <laughs> and on Instagram, we're the Big Bad Broadcast. That's right. Yeah. And so check it out. Check it out. The big yeah, check monkeys. it out, baby. We got on, monkeys. Friends. We got monkeys. <laughs> Please remember to like, subscribe, and ring that bell. Thank you.